Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast. This is Chris, and this is going to be different because today we have a special guest. This is our first interview for the podcast. Just really quickly, hello, Lauren. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. I didn't realize I was the first. Yes, yes. Oh, boy. No, this is something new that we're doing, and we're excited that you agreed to come onto the podcast. And just quickly on Lauren, this is Lauren Spricer. She's the Grand Prix dressage trainer, rider, clinician. She's a USDF gold, silver, bronze medalist. She's a blogger. She's a writer. She writes for the Chronicle of the Horse and other magazines and websites. So we're tickled to have her today. Talk a little bit about what she does and how she cares for her horses. But Lauren, just to start this off, if you could just give our listeners a background. Sure. So I started riding as a kid, like most horse crazy kids. I played a lot of sports, but I really stuck with horses. I really liked horses. And I rode at the international level when I was 18. I went through the high performance youth program in the United States. I went to the Junior Olympics a few times. And then I went to college and I said, I'm going to study something other than horses so that I can go out and be a successful adult amateur and make lots and lots of money and ride nice horses that have other, other people clean up after them. And that was precious of me because that lasted for about a hot minute. The college thing stuck. I did graduate. Yes, but, uh, but but I said, well, let's just, let's just try the horse thing for a year. Let's give it a shot. And that was 15 years ago. Um, somewhere along the way, I got set up at my own farm in Northern Virginia, and I've been teaching horses and riders ever since. What was it about horses? It, it really young age, because for me, that's when it was captured, you know, watching my dad teach FFA work around animals, but specifically horses. So was it at that young age when it really, when they really drew you in? I have a picture of me on a horse at a, a county fair type setup, you know, one of those little pony ride setups when I was probably about four. And, you know, everyone listening knows when you're a horse crazy kid, I mean, it's just over. It's the light shines down from the heavens, the angels sing, and that is it. And I may, there were times that I didn't think that I wanted to be a professional, but there's never been one second of my life, not even on the worst days of my professional career, on actual life and death days when horses are dying and the world seems like it's ending. There has not been one second of my career where I have not wanted to get up and go to the barn in the morning. And when you know that at four, why bother doing anything else? I'm glad I did other things, but but you're you know which direction you're heading. Right. I mean, I, I, I love telling my friends when their da- you know, daughters or even sons are really into horses and I'm like, get them involved early. It is a amazing direction in life. It keeps them out of trouble, especially in those high school years, you know, college years. But yeah, I've always encouraged it. For you, Lauren, what is it about horses that draws you in? I think horses are phenomenally non-judgmental. They are the epitome of living in the moment. I I lost my patience with a horse from time to time as a teenager and young professional because humans are young and stupid when they're young and stupid. And every time I would do that, 
the horse would forgive me. The horse would let it go. The horse would still be happy to see me the next day. And I, there aren't too many other things that are like that. Certainly other animals can be like that. I have dogs, we have cats. But the other thing about horses is that I don't trust my dog with my life. I trust my horse with my life. And that's a relationship that you don't often get to experience unless you really work with horses. Other livestock aren't like that. Your dogs and cats aren't like that. Absolutely, humans aren't like that. Um, and it's like nothing else. It really isn't like anything else. It takes a lot of trust, doesn't it, between you and the animal? A lot of trust. A lot of trust. And I, I think that horses are particularly special because as much as they, they forgive us, they also need us. You know, horses, we've domesticated them. They are dependent on us. As much as my young horses would like to tell me that they don't need me, they do. They need me to make sure that they are well cared for. They are dependent upon the decisions that I make and the program that I run to help keep them healthy and to help keep them safe. And I think one of the things about horses that I've always appreciated is, like you said, if you're having a really bad day and you go and work with them for a little while, like your mood changes, doesn't it? Like it just completely, it's just, it's hard to explain to people that have never been around horses, right? I have a few that are phenomenal snugglers. I also have a few that don't care what kind of day they're having. They're going to try and bite you in the face, but it's, you know, face biting with love. They're just not maybe the emotional support animal that I need. But I have, I always can make sure there's a couple in the barn that I can go and, you know, cry on if I need a good cry. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I've been there. I've been some rough days at work. So you're, you're in college. You, you want to make this a career. How did that go? And, and, and how did that lead up to you starting Spryzer Sport Horses? So the best thing that ever happened to me was being a working student for other professionals. And this is something that I'm, I'm thinking about a lot right now as I'm hiring these, you know, the next generation, the next group of 20 something hot, you know, they think they're really, really a big deal kind of riders. Uh, by the time I graduated from college, I had already ridden the Grand Prix. I'd already started young horses. I'd already started the process of learning how to train young horses. And I still knew that I just had no business going alone. And so I went and worked for other people. And the amount that I learned from Carol Lavelle, Olympic bronze medalist, the amount that I learned from Monica and George Tedoresco, Monica Olympic gold medalist, multiple Olympic gold medals, um, and now the German team coach, and the amount that I learned from Pam Goodrich, another phenomenally successful American Grand Prix rider, was fantastic. And it gave me a sense not only of where I wanted to go as a trainer, as a producer of top horses, but also as someone who runs her own business, I, I had to learn about how to manage people. I had to learn how to manage my clients. I had to learn how to structure my day in a way that I could ride, which is what I like to do, and then do all of the things that make it possible financially for me to ride all in the same day. Um, I see a lot of trainers that I think get lost in how to balance their own riding and their own businesses and can swing it one way or the other. And if they, if you swing that pendulum too far in favor of your own riding and not enough in favor of taking care of your clients, your clients are going to leave. Um, and working for trainers who ran successful businesses, not just successful training operations, was huge, 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 huge. And that there's so much more to running a successful program than just learning how to sit in the saddle and learning how to work the horses. The care, the, the, the maintenance program, how you feed them, how you take care of them, 
how you structure a competition season. Those were all things that I learned working for other people. And then I spread my little wings and I moved to Virginia, which is a very horsey part of the world. If, if we have non-American listeners, um, it, it really is the horsey Holy land. And I came into renting a fantastic facility about an hour West of Washington, DC. And then I made a lot of mistakes. Fortunately, none of them mission critical, but I blew it a lot. Um, I'm probably still blowing it a lot. I just don't know it yet. Um, but I'd like to think that I'm blowing it less now than I was 13 mm-hmm, years mm-hmm, ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, here I am. Oh, that's, <laughs> it is so true. It is like, it is more, there's a lot of business with it. As much as you want to make it about the animal, it, there's a lot of business stuff about it. I would say about one third of my day is actually spent working with or near horses. The other two thirds of my day are all of the ephemera that goes into supporting them. Yes, 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 yes. Now, I wanted to ask, at what point in your life did you say, okay, dressage is my discipline? I, from an outsider, I've never ridden dressage, but... It, I have always been fascinated watching the riders, the communication between the rider and the horse, how much training goes into that horse. At what point in your life did you say that is where I'm going to go? Because I love it. It's it's a beautiful discipline. So I got really lucky, and that is a in that dressage found me. Um, I grew up riding Western. That was how I started as a very very young child. But when I was 11. I broke my femur in a tragic football accident uh, and couldn't, I was in a body cast for three months. I couldn't walk. And when I got out of the cast, it was, you know, any of the the sports that one plays on one's own two feet were not really possible. Um, And I happened to learn that I'd grown up around the corner from a dressage lesson barn. And those are really an endangered species. There are just not that many lesson barns in the United States that specialize in dressage, but there it was you know, a few miles from my house. So dressage found me, even if it hadn't, I am the kind of person that really would have appreciated dressage by which I absolutely mean, and let's be clear on the subject that I am a nerd. I am a neurotic type A dork to end all dorks. And so I really like the nuance of dressage, but I am also that crazy zealot that thinks that dressage is everything. I think that dressage is the beginning of everything. Dressage is everywhere. It's like, it's like algebra. Um, And so living here in Northern Virginia, I am surrounded by fox hunters and event riders. And so there I am like a missionary in the Congo preaching my gospel of dressage, trying to convert the heathens to my cause, but there I am doing it. Um, because dressage makes jumping horses better. Dressage makes driving horses better. Dressage makes pleasure horses better. Uh, and oh, boy, do I believe it. So I am that lunatic yeah. screaming on that soapbox. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing discipline though. It is, oh, I've watched so many rides and just my jaw hits the ground sometimes with them. I just, you know, especially at the, at the top level, which now you're setting your sights on international competition with an up and coming Grand Prix horse, Elvis. So could we talk a little bit about Elvis? What makes him special? What makes your relationship special? So Elvis is a good story. Uh, in order to talk about Elvis, we have to talk about Elvis's predecessor, which is a horse named Danny Ocean. And I put my heart and soul in Danny Ocean, who was kind of a twerp as a kid and 
he finally grew up and turned nine and was learning all of the things from Grand Prix. And he got very sick and he circled the drain for a year and finally died. And I was lost. I was really lost. I did not know what to do. That horse had my heart. And he was the first horse that anybody had ever said my name and Olympics in the same sentence. And I found myself in the Netherlands looking at horses for clients and they brought out this little chunky brown thing. Um, I actually, I, I found my notes from that trip to Holland and I wrote about him bitchy little face, um, which was my first impression of him. But I watched him go around and he caught my eye and I hopped on and it just felt like coming home. And that horse was Elvis. And it felt, it felt like I had made him myself. Everything was where I thought it was going to be. He gave me a feeling that felt very familiar. And it was all of the things that I loved about Danny with none of the crazy about Danny, which was a refreshing change of pace. I, I kind of cut my teeth riding wingnuts and taming mongrels. So riding one that was civilized was a unique phenomenon for me. Um, but I didn't have the money for a horse. And so I went home and I didn't know what to do. I was still lost and somewhere along the line, someone said, well, what if you got a consortium of people together to help you? And so I reached out to the woman who had him. She hadn't sold him yet. I don't know why. I think the universe had other plans. Um, and I approached a couple of people and I got a little help. And for the rest, I took out a huge loan and we bought him and we formed a group called the Elvis Syndicate. So Elvis has the potential to have 35 owners. He doesn't have that many yet, but when the syndicate's complete, he will have 35 mummies. Uh, and we brought him home and got to work. He was seven at the time. He's 10 now. He's uh, just in his first year at Grand Prix. We have in this country a division for young Grand Prix horses, eight to 10-year-old Grand Prix horses. He's currently qualified for the national championships in that division. And uh, yeah, we'll see what comes next. Yeah, what makes him special? A lot of things make him special. He is, he's obviously a very good athlete, but that's not overwhelmingly unusual. He is incredibly emotionally stable. And generally speaking, in my line of work, the thing that lets them pee off for 12 to 15 steps with no whip when they're 12 is the thing that makes them psychotic at seven. And he wasn't like that. His previous owner sent me pictures of her young children sitting on him. Um, Elvis's favorite thing is to go in the pond and just stand there and blow bubbles like a hippopotamus. It's a riot. Um, he's really, really, really comfortable in his own skin and he takes criticism. Well, you can, you can get on his case and say, Hey man, I need you to dig in and you need you to try harder. And he says, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but he's also just, he's super fly. He's just really, really, really dependable. He's easy to live with. Uh, if he hadn't found me, then he would absolutely have sold to a nervous amateur person who would have loved him because he just doesn't get flustered about life. He's great at life. Mm -hmm. And just, he was just the one when you, you know, you know, it's just like, you, like you said, the universe put you two together. The light shone down from the heavens and the angels <laughs> sang and the stars aligned and we looked at each other and actually I looked at him and I said, Oh my God, I love him. And he looked at me and said, whatever lady, because he's <laughs> always, he is all business. He does not have time for your emotion. We talked earlier about the horses that you can snuggle with when you're having a bad day. Not that savage. He'll bite your face. He does not have time for your emotional outburst. He's all business, but, but that's kind of fun in and of itself. He's, he likes to go to work. 
And then he likes to sit in the pond like a hippo. So he's most, he's mostly business. <laughs> so how might, like how much training has gone into him, you know, for, for those of us that aren't in dressage, we you know, rid, ridden out of the disciplines, how many hours, how many years go oh, into man. making a Grand Prix horse? I, the sky's the limit, really. Uh, generally speaking, with the young dressage horse, they're started under saddle at three or four. And you start getting a sense of whether they're going to be a Grand Prix horse or not when they're eight or nine. By that point, they're usually doing, you know, they're beginning the international level work. They're starting to touch on the pieces. Um, you know, your goal is that you're at least getting there by 10. You're starting to knock on the door of competing it. Um, and I think that the general rule of thumb is that once you make your international debut, you've got five or six years. Um, so I'm not there yet. I, he's, he's competing at the, at an, at an international level in a national division. So we have not yet broached actual international level competition. Um, maybe next year, maybe the year after, I don't know, ask me in six months. Um, but, but that's, that's kind of the window you target. And with the warm blood type horse, which is what most people are riding in dressage, their bodies start to show signs of real serious wear and tear when they're probably 17 or 18. So that's kind of your window from 10 to 17. That's, a really, really short window when you've put your heart and your soul into a horse, but that's, that's what you're handed. If you're lucky, you'll get more time. And uh, if you're really unlucky, then you get less time. I was just thinking that like, you know, how much blood, sweat and tears go into that horse. And then you only have that, that short time. It's a lot. We're insane. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes basket weaving or, or, cosmetology school sounds like a super good idea, but here I am <laughs> still doing it every day. No, Those moments I'm are fleeting. You. It's like our listeners. They know, they know the they draw. Know. They, they know, they know the hook. So I would ask you something working around horses. You, you, most of your life, what have you learned about yourself? Boy, that's a great question. Uh, I, I have learned that I am phenomenally patient with horses and phenomenally impatient with myself that I, I will understand the poor tortured soul of a six year old gelding. Who's never been told no one second of his life. And I will find a way to cultivate greatness in him. But every time I have one tiny failure, then I'm, I'm the worst. I am the worst to myself. Um, and I think about that a lot as I'm, you know, self-flagellating in the face of my horses, always having a, I, I give my horses infinite chances. I give myself no chances, um, which is something I should probably work on with a therapist, but I'm a horse trainer, so I don't have any money, um, or spare time, frankly. Um, and I also think that as much as I love horses, I really love people and spending time with horses. I think has made me really appreciate it's easy to under, understand how wonderful horses are. Horses are just wonderful. It's easy, but I, I living my life with horses has shown me how wonderful humans can be too. Um, and maybe that's just because I've been very fortunate and I've been surrounded by so many wonderful humans that horses have introduced me to so many wonderful people. Um, but I'm an optimist. I think people are generally okay. Yeah. 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 Such a, you know, in the horse industry is we're all unique in, we're unique all, from other industries, yeah. For sure, but I, man, I have never met a tougher, 
more more resilient, more gritty group of women than in the horse industry. I the I've always really enjoyed that the the Dutch word for a female equestrian is Amazon, A M A Z O N E. And and the Amazons, of course, were these warrior women. And I, I don't think those two things I, I absolutely think those two things are related. Um, because I know so many, so many women and horses who have conquered cancer and divorce and death and devastation and emerged on the other side still kind to other people, not jaded by life. Um, some of the most generous people on the planet are horsewomen. I have so many clients and friends who have lent horses to other people over the years to help them achieve their goals, who have supported my own goals. I, and my God, the Elvis Syndicate is is comprised of people who believe in me. Good Lord, why? Why do they believe in me? I don't know. But, but horses brought us together. Um, so that's less something that I've learned about myself, but more something that I've learned about the world at large is that horse people are okay. They are. They are. They're <laughs> with a lot of them. And that's why I tell all my friends, especially with young daughters, get them involved with horses. And then when, when those little girls go horse crazy, and then I'm like, good, encourage it. You know, I, I send them my book. I, I do all sorts of things to keep them engaged because growing up around that, it teaches them so much about themselves. So thank you for bringing that up. They are resilient and they are patient and they are brave. And that is something that we cannot cultivate enough in young people, period, end of story, but certainly young women. No, absolutely. Especially, you know, today's social media and all that fun stuff. So it's Horses don't see. tweet. <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't. So thank you for making Tribute a part of your story, you know, Tribute Feed. Why did you decide to go with Tribute to feed your horses? So the way that my life works is that I spend eight months of the year in Northern Virginia and four months of the year in Wellington, Florida, which if you're not familiar with Wellington, it is the horse sport, English horse sport capital of the world for four months. The entire dressage show jumping planet flocks to Southern Florida and we set up camp and there's lots of grain companies in the United States and a lot of them are available everywhere. That's great. But I found when I was feeding other companies that the formula that I would be feeding in Virginia was not the same as the formula that I would be feeding in Florida. If I found myself at the national championships, if I found myself at an international horse show and I had to buy a bag of grain, it wasn't necessarily the same recipe. Um, and that made me crazy. And I wanted the consistency of product as well as, of course, feeding a very high quality product. And along the way, I had a, a former employee who had gone on to study equine nutrition, and she called me up and she was like, are you still feeding Company X, which we shall not name? And I said, yeah. And she was like, you got to stop. You've got to meet Tribute. And I was like, yeah, but that company is available everywhere. And it's so easy. And it's everywhere. And she was like, listen, let me bring you some. Let's try a horse or two. Of course, it's a very high quality product. That's very important to me. But it was truly shocking how little I had to feed to get the results that I wanted, which is, of course, tremendously appealing. Horses love to colic. And I want to feed as little concentrate as possible. Um, that also put my, dropped my grain bill, which I'm a big fan of from business perspective. And the 
Calm Ultra that I buy at the CFC Farm and Home Store in Marshall, Virginia is the same as the Calm Ultra that I buy at Wellington Hay and Grain in Wellington, Florida, is the same that I would buy at any of the horse shows that I would travel to, is the same that I would buy anywhere that I could possibly find myself. And that's very, very comforting with show horses, with horses that travel. What if I find myself qualified for the Olympic team and I'm parked at JFK and, oh crap, we have to go get food in order to throw it on the plane to go to Europe for three months. It's going to be the same as anywhere else that I've ever been. Um, and then my horses get consistent nutrition and I, it's, it's one less thing that I have to worry about. And let me tell you, as a trainer, I've got plenty to worry about. I'm not volunteering for more. Um, so an exceptional product at a great price that I don't have to feed a lot of, that's the same everywhere, sold. Now, I want to talk about your writing. I did read your blog. I did see the one about your leg. I'm sorry from a from someone else who suffered a leg injury. I know how traumatic that can be. But what got you into blogging? What got me into blogging? I I loved to write as a kid. I've always loved to write. And when I was young and the internet was just a wee bitty thing, uh, I all of my friends were blogging. So I started a blog that was about my life and nobody cared because my life wasn't all that interesting. But I kept doing it anyway because I really like to write and it's a it's a medium that comes easily to me. And somewhere along the way, I found myself in Europe working and and, and training and dressage, which was a fairly unusual thing at the time um, for young American writers to do. And I remember one day I found a comment on my blog from someone that I'd never met before. I don't know how they found it, but they started reading my story. My story had become interesting. And it was at that moment that I realized the power of the internet and the power of blogging. And you have to, you know, I, I, many of your listeners will be old enough to remember that 20 years ago, the internet was this little fledgling thing. Um, and I said, wow, I have the power to tell a story. I have the power to use my words to show people something that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise get to see. So I kept going and the blog changed from here are the thoughts in my tiny little dippy American mind to here's what I think about horse training and here's what I'm observing about the horse world at large. And I became a working student and I started telling that story. And then I became a young trainer and I started telling that story. And I happened to have someone come and take a lesson from me, uh, a woman named Sarah Leeser, who at the time was the managing editor of this magazine called The Chronicle of the Horse that was starting to navigate the waters of producing content that was for the internet instead of just regurgitating the magazine online. And they, she said, hey, you seem pretty funny and you are able to spell, which is a bigger deal than we would think, <laughs> yes. um, would you be interested in blogging for us? And that was 11 years ago. I can't believe that's true, but that is actually true. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got to be knocking on the door of 600 blogs now. I hit 500, I think, two years ago. Wow. So we've, we've wow. got, if I haven't crossed the 600 threshold yet, it's it's coming. Um, and it's just a, it's a new medium. No, it's not new anymore. It, it, it's a It's a different medium to tell a story. I can reach 100,000 people. I wrote a blog about daughters becoming horse girls. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the most well-read thing that's ever been on the Chronicles website. It won awards. And wow. Wow. thank you. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was a way to show the world something that I saw and was privileged to see every day in my job. Mm-hmm. And I guess people find it interesting. Plus, I'm funny. And I can spell. <laughs> and, you're, and you're a great writer. I mean, it, it is... Very easy to read, digest. You know, I go in there. I went on there and I was reading through your blog posts, and I was just like, "Wow, this is 
and it's funny, you know, it's like the, the three things I hate about this. And you know. <laughs> I've, I've actually started blogging on my own website, all of the things that the Chronicle's not interested in, usually because they're not long enough to be a fully fledged blog, but sometimes right. also because they're borderline offensive. Sorry, Chronicle. But that's okay. <laughs> no. I understand. Well, and like your superpowers, you know, things you would like. And they're, uh, all, they're all horse oriented too. Of course. So. Of course. Yeah. I do occasionally think about things besides horses, but not very often. No, no. Can't afford to. No. It's your, it's your life. It's the time. I know. I know. Well, we'll definitely links, link that on the show notes so people can find your blog. And where else can they learn about Spricer sports, Sport Horses? Uh, they can learn about my farm and my business by going to my website, which is spricersporthorse.com. Uh, honestly, we update that a lot less than we do Facebook. Everything is Facebook these days. Uh, so I have my own personal Facebook page at Lauren Spreiser, which is also how you can find me on Instagram. Uh, the farm Facebook page is at Spreiser Sport Horse. And that's S-P-R-I-E-S-E-R Sport Horse. Well, we'll definitely put those links in the show notes uh, so our listeners can, can find you and read more and, and follow your blog because, yeah, they're, they're very funny and and insightful but lauren thank you so much i just i'm astonished at dressage again you know following your career it's the things you've accomplished you know we want to wish you all the best going forward with elvis and all the other horses in 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 your future thank you very much they also say thank you and they say please keep the food coming they are very very invested in tributes continued success and support I will definitely pass that pass that back to the home office. But thank you so much, Lauren. Take care in beautiful Virginia. Thank you. 